Welcome back to Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm Sarah. And I'm William. And today, I'm very excited about today. We have a prevention person that I have known for quite some time, Vanessa Baum, who is the Director of Prevention Education at The Family Place. And we today are going to talk about young adult fiction, like teen drama, all of those fun things. And we're going to go down so many different rabbit holes. I do want to note, like content warning wise, these like books and movies and TV shows cover a lot of really hard, different topics. So just be mindful of yourself when you listen to this episode and take a break if you need to pause, come back when you're ready, whatever that looks like for you. Vanessa, welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole. Hi, hello. I'm excited. Me too. Before we jump into anything, because I am excited, so I'm going to try to jump right in. But can you tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you found yourself as the director of prevention? Yeah. So um, in college, I became very angry about gender roles as a, I don't know, 20 year old kid, I guess, that stopped shaving my legs, stopped shaving my armpits. And at my very conservative Christian private college, uh, that was not a super cool thing to do. So I got just a lot of kind of disgust and revulsion thrown my way which was infuriating. And it made me start thinking, like, why is there not a class in school where we're taught to just be nice about these things and not hold on to these ideas that are not helping us? And so that kind of took me toward sex education, got my master's in public health, and then really focused in on violence prevention, just because the whole, I don't know, foundation that prevention work rests on is this idea about challenging our ideas about gender. So that's how I ended up here. Can I tell a fun story of one of the first conferences that you and I went to? Yes. Okay. We were at a prevention training. It was after. It was after the prevention training. And I don't really remember the stories, but you (laughs) were telling us about camels, like so many random camel facts. And to be honest with you, I'm terrible with names, forgot your name for a while and just referred to you as the person who knows about camels. And I just really love that about you. (laughs) And I'm curious if you could do a little camel background for just a second. Yeah. Okay. So I have lived with camels like my whole life uh, until I like left home and moved away. I grew up on a camel farm. My dad has his own small business. Shout out Texas Camel Corps that does um, educational events for like Texas history because camels were used by the U.S. Army in the 1850s, basically like created Route 66 and things like that. So highlighting that really interesting history, but also like they're used by different cultures across the world and also just like cool environmental things about them, like the way they're really uniquely adapted for the habitats that they come from. Um, So yeah, just grew up with camels for forever. Uh, Myth busting, there's no water in the hump. I think that's the big one. But camels are super sweet and curious and they're more like dogs than any other animal and they're smarter and better than horses. So that's my, my spiel. Thank you for sharing that because I love it. I love animals. And that's just like a fun story. But William, I saw your face. This is not something you knew. I did not know this. And I am. It's like a McDonald's moment. I am loving it. I am 
I have so many questions. <laughs> like we are in danger of this episode becoming an episode about camels. Oh, I can do um, <laughs> But yes, we will revisit the camels later at another time. But that is amazing. So even though that was a fun fact, we still have a fun question for the day because we're talking about all things uh, young adult media, which we will henceforth refer to as YA just to cover the acronym basis. What is your favorite YA book, show, or movie? Or all three, however you want to approach the question. Vanessa, you get dibs first. Sarah, you're on deck. All right. So favorite teen TV show currently Riverdale all time, Boy Meets World, comes to movie currently Moxie all-time eighth grade and for the book I could never pick a favorite but I'm going to go with an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green it's what actually got me started reading again after college when I just couldn't read anymore it's amazing I still haven't seen Moxie yet it's on my list I need to watch it It Um, changing life-changing oh okay Okay, it's my like my next movie to watch. I just don't have any time right now, but it looks really good. I think for me, I'm only really going to answer TV shows. I much prefer TV over movies, and I want to love reading. I try. I try to love it, but I just can't. But I do love like all the teen shows, the teen drama. Ugh. I love it. It's so great. And I was when we brought up this topic, I was like, man, when we use like TV shows and like prevention sessions, I like shined because I was like, give me a show and I can tie it into any of these conversations. Anyways, my favorite all time would be Veronica Mars. I love that one so much. And it's just great. And it really held up. Even when they came back as adults for the movie, I still loved it. But, you know, I loved Pretty Little Liars, even though it was dorky and way over the top. William, you and I used to have, like, arguments over teen shows. Do you remember that? Arguments? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> okay, maybe argument's a strong word, but you would always be like, this is so ridiculous. And I was like, right, but it's great. Oh, because of, like, some of the the complaints that we will get into later in this episode about yeah. some of the things that I find unrealistic well yes it is unrealistic and wonderful mostly about things like how there's no lack or there's just no parenting in a lot of the shows and that just confuses me sometimes that's all we'll get into it we'll get into it in a little bit that being said my uh, some of my favorite uh like teen shows um Sex Education is a, a newer one, I guess. That's great. Uh, Vampire Diaries is one that I've seen the whole the whole series and the originals, the spinoff, obviously. Um, and so uh, loved that. Even though that one got ridiculous, that was one of those shows that I really loved, but it got ridiculous. And I was, but I was still watching it because, I mean, I was invested. I'd say movies. I don't know if this is like a a YA movie, but based on a YA book, so I'm just going to roll with it. Um, But Perks of Being a Wallflower, great movie. And I'd say books, again, I don't know if it's like, I feel like, I don't don't know how old the YA, like, category is, genre is. 
so this may like predate but it's a, it's a book for teens um uh, but the outsiders is a great book um and so i think that it falls into that category whether it was intended to or not when, when it was written so probably the outsiders yeah i'm gonna stick with those answers those are good Fun fact, The Outsiders is like pretty widely regarded as like the first YA novel. There are technically some that happened before that, but that one is kind of like, I don't know, recognized as setting the standard for what the genre is and what it's about and what it explores. Then it was a perfect answer. Everyone's welcome. Yes. Which leads me into like our first big question for this conversation is like what when we say young adult fiction or whatever what are we referring to would you mind kind of diving into a definition Vanessa yeah so YA is a genre where you know the main characters are teenagers and they're exploring some of the main themes of like adolescence of creating your identity and exploring relationships and creating independence from your family unit and experiencing Lots of things that we consider to be adult things, but that happen to plenty of teenagers. Um, I think that's where you get a lot of banned books in the YA genre. Lots of TV shows that like your mom doesn't want you to watch, even though the characters in the show are technically supposed to be your age. Because it's all these things like, you know, drugs and sex and relationships and all this stuff that is like, oh, that's inappropriate. So I don't know. I think of all of those things when I think of YA. It's exploring all those things that maybe adults don't quite think teenagers are ready for, but are happening to teenagers regardless. Which makes me understand our fascination with it because as like young people, we we wanted to be talked to on like a certain level that we understood things and we're like processing things. And I think young people still want that. So as like adults, we're like, oh my gosh, it just fulfills something in us. I am curious, like what age is it geared towards? So... YA is usually like 14 to 24 or something like that, kind of that traditional period of adolescence. It can get broken down a little bit further, though, where you have this like transitional age group from children to YA. So you'll have teen, which is like 11 to 14, which is where like the Harry Potter books and like Chronicles of Narnia and stuff like that fall, where the characters, at least when those series first start, they are children, they're young children, they're not experiencing like puberty and hormones and teenage feelings yet. So I don't know, that 14 to 24-ish range, that's what I think about. I think that's interesting. You mentioned Harry Potter. So like, let's spend a second because I think a lot of people think that it's YA because it's, I'm going to use this term and understand that there's some facetiousness behind it, but like, it's like witchcraft, right? So I think people are like, there's a sector of people that are really heightened around uh harry potter and not allowing children or like teens to have access to it because it's going to corrupt their souls or something and so and that seems like really heavy and so for it to be classified as like children's lit or teen lit this kind of like transitioning period i think that's surprising to know yeah i think just talking about people that you know are like oh witchcraft's gonna kill our children and ruin their lives or whatever i mean did those same people have no issue with the Chronicles of Narnia, which also has magic and witchcraft and all of those things. So yeah. I find that super interesting. Um, but I think about how in YA novels, you're usually inside the main character's head. It's, I thought this, I felt this. You're you're feeling it from a teenage perspective, whereas Harry Potter and Chronicles of Narnia and things like that, you're kind of experiencing the book through like a mature grown adult narrator kind of vibe and so I don't think that you feel 
the the same things that you feel as when you read a a, a a traditional YA novel. But of course, like the Harry Potter books, as you know, Harry gets older, especially when you hit like book four, book five, when he starts becoming like really angsty, it starts to feel a lot more like a YA novel because Harry is just mad all the time. And he's like, do I love Cho Chang? Do I love Ginny? Do I love no one? Do I hate myself? And that is such a YA theme. So the books kind of shift as Harry gets older. I think the genre also gets older. Um yeah, love Harry Potter though. Yeah, but I also think that that those topics and the, those different viewpoints are what makes it easy for people to like make fun of the genre, right? Is to say like, and it, and it, I think it's rooted in how we shame teenagers in a very ageist way, right? Like, oh, your problems aren't real problems, like because you have this kind of when you're reading a book or consuming media, you have this sort of like omniscient narrator vibe and i think that's how often like adults approach teenagers is this like i know so much more than you and so then it makes the whole genre a little like shamey or um not the genre itself but people who enjoy the genre get shamed or the genre gets shamed and i'm just wondering if there are other things that are rooted in that shame other than like our general ageist approaches to young people Yeah, I think, I mean, the age thing, I like what you said almost about how we think adults are, like, because they're smarter and they know more, it's almost more objective. And so when you have those books that are narrated from like an adult kind of perspective, it almost does lend them a little bit more credibility or like literary value for some reason than a YA novel that's just narrated by a teenager having their teenage feelings. So that is really fascinating. What was the actual question you asked? Oh, other things that it's rooted in. Okay, misogyny. I think so much of like YA fiction can very like heavily overlap with romance. There's a lot of like teen romance wrapped up in the whole YA genre and like romance in general is like marketed toward women and women like these things. And when we go through all the different teen shows, whether it's Pretty Little Liars or like Riverdale or all these shows, like those fan bases are dominated by young girls and our society doesn't like women and doesn't like young people. And you put those things together and we're just going to hate whatever those people like, which is awful. But I think that's why we shame and judge these things, because teenage girls like them as if teenage girls are not smart and interesting and have really cool, complex lives. You know, one thing I hear a lot, because I'm very open about loving my teen drama, but the people are just like, oh, it's just dumb. Like, there's not that many levels to it. It's very surface level. Like, there's no depth, all this kind of stuff. And I'm curious, I guess it is like still wrapped up in what you were talking about. But I'm curious on your thoughts on that, because people don't necessarily tie it to bigger, deeper rooted issues. They just say, oh, it's just dumb. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the like big, deep issues that teenagers are wrestling with are emotional ones. And our society doesn't value emotions. And like what it takes to process your feelings and reflect on your experiences, like none of that is culturally or societally valued. So I can see people thinking that that's not very complex because people think that feelings are very surface level. You know, I think about how difficult it is when we are working with young people, just um, helping them to understand how to identify their emotions. I think about like the feelings wheel and how many options there are. But when we're growing up, we don't know most of those feeling words and we're not really able to identify our own emotions. We have kind of like the big ones of I'm happy, I am mad, I am sad. And to go any deeper than that is really, really difficult because we're not taught how. And that's something that a lot of teen media does is explore your feelings. So of course we don't value that. Yeah, I think the other 
basis of criticism is is often not even about the content so much like about the the themes or the the story it's more about like technical criticism about like oh the writing is poor or the acting is poor or whatever which just kind of reduces all of these messagings to like this is not an important message because of this like technical criticism of how the thing is written i guess i don't know if that really makes sense but oh yeah i mean it's like every criticism of twilight of just being a really poorly written series which like yeah it's not great stephanie meyer probably uses the word chagrin three times per page and that's very frustrating so like no this is not shakespearean but also it can't sell as many copies as it did without it being somewhat decent. Like clearly people enjoy it despite its overuse of the word chagrin. I think about that same criticism with like pop music, which is also dominated by like young women as a fan base and just the criticism that it is like somehow a lesser genre of music and it's not as complicated or interesting as whatever it is the music snobs like to listen to. But I just don't think, I don't think it can be worthless and still make me feel the way it does when I listen to Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Like there is inherent value in that song for like so accurately portraying what it feels like to be a heartbroken teenager, which is something everybody can relate to. That's what's great about teen media is it's like the one thing we've all had to go through is being a teenager. So we should all be able to connect to this. I think more people enjoy YA like teen shows than are will readily admit admit it and i think that that's so interesting to me because because we all have been through that even if even if we aren't all you know archie and riverdale where we've like you know been in a fight club in a prison and like spoiler alert i guess and we still can relate to some general themes of these shows and and the books and and the stories overall but i think it's hard because now that you're an adult you you've been taught that those feelings as a teenager weren't valid then. And so you still carry this like dismissal of those experiences. Um, And I think the shows, when you start watching, you get invested, they work to kind of unpack some of that essentially. And so I think that is added value to the genre as a whole is like it helps you kind of process like yes heartbreak is hard and it is valid and like it does suck if your boyfriend cheats on you or you like feel like you have to play football because your dad wants you to play football but you really want to be in theater hey high school musical like you know it's one all of these things that even if you can't relate to the specifics there's like some general messaging you can relate to Absolutely. And to like give yourself a little bit of grace for the things that you felt as a teenager or things that you did as a teenager that you are horribly embarrassed or ashamed of. I think you're able to give yourself permission for some of the things that you felt and did as a teenager when you watch Riverdale and like Betty and Jughead are in a fight and your heart is breaking because Bughead forever. And it lets you remember feeling that way. And you're like, dang, if I can be so invested in this relationship that isn't even real, then imagine how real my actual feelings were when I was 15 years old in real life. Like those were real feelings and those were valid feelings that I deserved to feel. 
I love hearing y'all talk about it because, I mean, it ultimately does just like normalize a lot of different things. And that is something we don't necessarily see in a lot of different aspects of life. William, you brought up like having some value in this like fiction and shows and movies. And there's a lot of value in so many different ways. So I'm wondering if we can kind of gear that or like have that conversation of what are some of the values in YA fiction? I think some value that I felt as a teenager reading YA novels, shout out to Sarah Dessen. She is the queen of the genre, in my opinion, um, but read all of her books as a high schooler a zillion times. And the value that I found in there was um, validation for the way I felt. Here was an adult woman who is a, a college professor writing about the way I feel. And that has to mean that there's something important about the way I feel. I mean, I remember being probably like 10 or 12 years old, being in a fight with a friend at school and talking to one of my parents about it and them saying like, oh, well, you know, when you're like 30 years old, you won't even remember that kid's name. Like, don't worry about it. Not a big deal, which clearly you're trying to offer me like some perspective of this is not going to be a long term problem that plagues me for the rest of my life, which is true. Absolutely. Like, I don't remember what friend I was fighting with at the time. But it also feels a little bit dismissive when you're 10 or 12 or however old and someone's telling you like, oh, whatever, you won't care about this in a few years. But it's like, I care about it right now. So having an author that's just writing about the things that I'm feeling right now is really validating. It also, I think, helped me to learn about lots of things that I would experience like as a later teen or college student in a way that was kind of safe when like, you know, my parents weren't going to have that conversation with me and we weren't talking about it at school. Um, Like I think about my first exposure to sexual violence was through Sarah Dessen novels. It's a kind of a commonly explored theme in her books. And that was the first um, kind of place that I, I learned about those things and learned about like the way trauma affects our brain and victim blaming and things like that. And luckily, those books handle those topics pretty well. So it was a good education I was getting. It could definitely be different. But I think it's, it's a safe way to explore things that can sometimes be unsafe for teens, if that makes sense. Going along with that, like as an adult, I think consuming this media helps position you to talk to teens about these things, right? Like you see how they're consuming these topics and you're like, oh, so if you did, like you you kind of alluded to the fact that like there are some things that frame these topics poorly. Um, Sarah Dessen may do it well, but there are other authors that don't do it so well. And so like as an adult, knowing what young people are consuming and and how they're taking in these topics positions you to say, you know what, like this isn't actually how this would happen. This is what the response should be or to praise it and say that is a fantastic response to bullying or a fantastic response um, on the part of a school community to sexual assault. Right. Like and it just kind of opens the door to those conversations and it helps you process and reflect on how you think they should be handled, because if you're watching a show and you're like, Earlier, I mentioned parents. If you're like, these parents, where are they? Why aren't they involved in these children's lives? Or like, this school principal has no idea what's going on. Like, whatever. It's like, okay, well, how do I think? I ask someone who does not have children, right? When I watch these shows, it's like, well, how would I handle this as a parent? How would I, like, approach my school principal if he handled this this way or she handled this this way? And 
you know, so so it's a lot of reflection, a lot of like, um, certainly on my part, full disclosure, there is a lot of judgment sometimes of these characters and the decisions that they make. But I think it, it's about that reflection. It's like, okay, if I was in this situation, would I tell my best friend? Like, would I tell my partner? So, you know, who knows? But I think that's valuable to to provide that space to reflect. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I also judge these characters. I mean, there's nobody I hate more than Archie in Riverdale. I judge every single thing he does. I don't like the look on his face, the shirt he wears. I just cannot stand him. He's often not wearing a shirt, which is another criticism. I mean, mean, not that it's not great to look at, but like, I mean, (laughs) sir, (laughs) you're supposed to be 16. Put on a freaking shirt like. Yes. Go to school. Yeah, you're. Stop fighting bears in the woods and go to school. Yeah, like, we have to get back into Riverdale. Bears in woods, fight clubs in prisons. Like, what is happening? <laughs> You're very behind. <laughs> I am very behind. To be honest, I forgot where I left off, so I just have to restart it. But yeah, I'm so intrigued now. But uh, William, you brought up a really good point that like we can use a lot of these shows and books and songs and everything to have really incredible conversations with the young people in our lives. But the first thing I thought about when you were talking about that is how we often tend to shut those conversations down. And this might be gearing it towards a different rabbit hole. So I apologize. But like, you know, I think of 13 Reasons Why and how like that show, although I have my issues with it, was created to like promote conversations. Right. And then like every adult was like, nope, we're not talking about it. Shut it down. The adults that I know, to be clear. And Like, just assumed if we don't talk about it and tell our young people not to watch it, they're not going to watch it. And so, like, that can be really, it can be more harmful if we just let them be and, like, think this is, like, the best thing, right? And so, like, we need to have those conversations and be brave and take that space with them. 13 Reasons Why is a hard, because I think think there, there are so many great things about it. And then I think there are some criticisms about how it was produced and, like, what you can see on screen and... But I think all of that in context is part of the conversation, right? Is to say, like, this is why we shouldn't show this graphic situation on the television versus, like, or just engaging your your kids about, like, in this case, self-harm in particular, right? Like, um, and so it's challenging. And, and when you... I think it also, this genre does a good job of challenging privilege sometimes when we see depictions of racism or classism, sex, like all all of the the isms, homophobia, and you want to, you have the urge to be like, well, that's not how that would happen. It's like, well, how does this character identify versus how do I identify and how how do systems respond differently both in this fictional world, but also in the real world. And how do we bridge these conversations with young people? Um, and how could we potentially leverage this show as a talking piece? So I think all of that amalgamates into to another valuable piece when it's, I don't know if I would consider it all like activism focused, but it lends itself towards conversations about privilege more often than I think people recognize. Yeah. And 13 Reasons Why it gets into those themes of, you know, sexual assault and victim blaming and homophobia and things like that. And I think that 13 Reasons Why is just a great, I don't know, we can use it as a really great analogy for prevention work in general and like why we do it in that, you know, we can have this debate of should teens be watching this or should we not let them and just realize that they're going to 
And it's kind of a useless debate to sit around and say, well, should we let them? Because they already are. And instead, like using it as an opportunity of just saying like, well, we know that they're going to be watching this or at least that their friends are. So how can we use this as like a teachable kind of moment to talk about these things together for those, you know, issues in 13 Reasons Why, for example, that are just covered in a really, really not trauma-informed way while still recognizing, I mean, I think that season two of 13 Reasons Why, which is basically all of the like court proceedings for the sexual assault case, I feel like they did such a good job just showing all the different ways that people try to discredit a survivor. And I thought that was so powerful and so many good examples. And so, I mean, maybe just season two is a great teaching tool or whatever, but there, you know, there's good that comes from it and they're going to watch it either way. So we might as well make it work for us. Yeah, I remember the first season came out when I was first doing prevention and all the teachers were like, do not talk about that show. Like they say 13, you shut it down. Um, And we got a little creative and like exploring topics that it focused on because it is important to have those conversations because to your point, they're going to watch it. And so being an informed adult is important. And I think like having those conversations, although to be clear, they can still be scary, but it is less scary when you're informed. I also think there's a danger when you try to, I don't, I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. But when you try to like censor what particularly older adolescents are watching, um, I think that you do them a disservice because if, if all of the other people at school are watching this, then maybe they're not, they don't have access for whatever reason to watch it, but they're hearing it through the lens of the other young people. And like, how are those messages being distorted or upheld when it's, you know, it's a game of telephone at this point um, with this, the themes or the the messages in this TV show. And so like, I'm not saying you should force anybody to watch anything they don't want to watch, but also like if they want to watch it because everyone at school is talking about it, maybe that's an opportunity to say, okay, well we can watch it together then, or I'm going to watch it first. And then you can watch, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you approach it again, not a parent, but like saying, no, you're totally barred from this then puts them in a position to either rebel against you and go to their friend's house and watch it. Or just to settle through these like filtered messages, which aren't always the most accurate. So that's another thing to think about when you're trying to restrict what young people are watching or not is why do they want to watch it? How can this be a tool? How can this be a learning experience? One of the things that really frustrates me about this genre just kind of pivoting a little bit, but not not just this genre, but also like probably all genres ever is the idea that you by not telling and this kind of this kind of goes along with that comment, actually, but by not telling someone something, you're protecting them by depriving someone of some piece of information, you're protecting them, right? And then you see this in uh, boyfriend-girlfriend dynamics. You see this in parent-child dynamics and within the shows. Um, is that like, I'm not going to tell you this thing out of your own protection. But then the other person goes and does something that actually puts them in danger because they don't know the piece of information that you have. And so it's just this whole like cycle of poor communication, of often misogyny and this idea that like just the idea that I'm going to protect you by withholding information as opposed to you know there's the the cliche that like knowledge is power and I think that's a mostly true but 
by depriving people of knowledge uh, of a particular topic or a situation that somehow they're going to be safer. And I think that that is a, a strong frustration that I have because I just find myself screaming at the television that if you had just told them none of this would have happened. I think that directly ties into what we were talking about is like, like as adults, if we withhold the information and like don't have these conversations with young people, they can find themselves in more dangerous situations. So I see that direct train of thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we have all these examples, I think of, you know, like teen dating relationships and movies and TV shows where this is happening. But when I think of information being withheld, quote unquote, for your own good, I think of Harry Potter right? Like Dumbledore withheld a lot of information from Harry, thinking that he was like too young to handle it, that it would be like too much of a burden, all of this stuff. Like, meanwhile, he was raising Harry like an animal for slaughter, basically, um, and withholding all of this from him, which is super messed up and really underestimated this kid that's like proven himself time and time again. And if Harry had received more information from Dumbledore, he wouldn't have done super dumb things like running into the Department of Mysteries to save somebody who wasn't even there and in danger right like that is just uh, the most frustrating one that I always think about it's just Dumbledore withholding so much information and how we could have saved a lot of heartbreak had we just you know had real conversations and filled people in about their own lives yeah I think about shows where it's like this is not a, a, a direct example but like it seems like something that would happen in Riverdale is it like I'm going to go fight these people, but I'm not going to tell you so that you don't try to stop me and so that you don't you don't get hurt. But then the person who's not being told ends up in the middle of the fight somehow and is like clearly injured. And it's just what is happening? Like, I don't. Okay. And of course, in, in that show, it's like, again, the lack of parents, like the parents present. It's like all of these young people are like, I'm not going to tell my parents because whatever. And A, that's a real thing that happens with young people, right? Is that like they're worried that their parents are going to freak out or that they're going to be in trouble. And so like that's a real concern. And it's like sometimes if you just talked to your parents, maybe they could help you. But also, you know, your parents best. So I don't know. It's just it's a hard thing. I'd encourage a trusted adult. Because sometimes parents are not the best person to go to. And sometimes that's a wise decision. (laughs) But I had a comment and I forgot it. So I'll pop back in if I remember it. Um, Well, that reminds me I was um, of something just today. I was reading a Sarah Dessen novel on my lunch break, as I do. I was reading The Truth About Forever. And uh, there was this line that I read and it just hit me. I was like, this is so perfect for this conversation about teen media and adults and where are the parents and all of this. So there's this teenage girl who, for a whole bunch of reasons, she and her mother do not really share their feelings anymore. She feels like she has to be like super strong and collected and perfect for her mom. And then her boyfriend breaks up with her and she doesn't tell her mom about it. Her mom, of course, inevitably finds out, you know, boyfriend broke up with you. Why didn't you tell me about this? And they have this whole conversation. And the mom says to her, I want you to feel like you can share these things with me. And of course, the daughter's just like, yeah, okay, mom, and like walks away. But I think that's 
such a common thing that we have like parents saying of you can tell me anything or I want you to know that you can come to me with anything. But if, you know, your kids, especially like your teens aren't coming to you with these things, it's probably because you've done something that's made them feel like they can't. So just saying, I want you to feel like you can share this with me doesn't actually make me feel like I can share this with you, right? Like, I don't know how you're going to react. I don't know if you're going to be supportive. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble or shamed or judged. And so that just that line, it just like kind of infuriated me of I want you to feel like you can share with me. Meanwhile, you're not doing anything to create that feeling in that relationship with your child. Yeah. So we've talked before on uh, several episodes, actually, around adults who say you can talk to me about anything or if you're in trouble, call me and I'll be there. No questions asked. You know, th- things like that. Right. A lot of times I think in in. It's around like if you're at a party and you're drinking, like just call me and I, I won't be mad. Like I'll, you know, just come get you. I'd rather you call me than drive, right? Or whatever. But then when the young person comes to them, it's like this lecture or you're grounded or like worse than that. And so it doesn't build that trust. So like, don't be that person, right? Don't be that adult, even if they're not your child, right? If you're an older sibling or a cousin or whatever, like, If you say no questions asked, then maybe that's the approach you should take. Now, certainly if there are safety concerns, sometimes you have to ask questions, but it's about being upfront about those limits, right? Same thing like in Texas, any adult is a mandatory reporter if you think a a child is being harmed, right? So, but you got to like maybe ask a few questions before you're just like calling CPS into any given situation. So, but you should make that things known. If you see a conversation is trending that way, you'd be like, wait a minute, here are some boundaries that I have um, so that the young person can then feel empowered to share or not to share. Um, Sorry, that was a real just like sidetrack. But I think that it's also when young people don't feel like they can come to adults, right? And, And adults say, but you can come to me for anything. And then when the young person doesn't and the the adult gets mad, it's also this idea that like it's a power. It's a power and control thing that like I told you to do something and you didn't do it. And so now I'm mad about it. Um, right. So that I gave you a quote unquote rule that you have to tell me about a boyfriend or you have to tell me whatever and you didn't follow it. And now you're in trouble. And so I think it's it's a bigger conversation around the power and control we exert over young people and how we hide behind our like legal authority. I think a lot of us have, depending on the role, you have responsibilities atti- tied to that authority, but you shouldn't wield it in a power and control sort of way, right? Like a teacher has the the authority in the room to ensure that all those young people are safe and that they are learning um, so they can assign homework and they can assign discipline to some extent. But they shouldn't wield that with power and control to, you know, like have a dictatorial classroom management, like tyrant of the hallway kind of vibe. I love that you mentioned the power and control thing, because like in a parent child relationship that is inherently unequal, um, like as a parent, you have all kinds of power that your child does not. And so I think if you I don't know other situations where there's inherent 
an inherent power imbalance would be like at your workplace where your supervisor has power that you do not. And I think that power imbalance automatically makes the person with less power question whether or not it's going to be safe to talk to you about certain things. So when you are the person with more power in a situation, you can't just say, you can tell me anything. You have to go out of your way to like show that in your actions and in your words that you are actually safe because you have power and I, I don't know that you're actually safe and just you saying that you're safe doesn't make it so, right? You really have to like go out of your way to show that each and every day. And by showing it too, or like you show it through being consistent, providing information and having respect. Like those are the three biggest things that stick out to me. And like, William, when you were talking about as a parent or an adult saying like, you can always come to me, I won't get mad. And then you do get mad. Like that's an inconsistency. And then the young people don't know what to expect. So like setting up realistic expectations, even of like, it's going to be hard for me. I might be a little upset and letting them know you're a real person. I don't think is bad. But just like, you know, providing that information for them so they do feel safer because they know what's going to happen and they know some of that outcome. And then obviously just kind of respecting people is important. And I think like going back to how we shame people who like YA, there's a lot of ageism in there. And we don't typically show young people the respect that they deserve And now I'm going on a rant, but I think it's important in a lot of different situations just to be respectful of young people. Yeah, I think that another another piece of value that that YA often brings is representation um, that young people may not see somewhere else. Um, So thinking of young people of color or young queer people, they may live in a place where they don't see themselves reflected in the adults in their community or their neighbors. And often the YA media, whether it is a TV show or a book, can provide them with some representation and some reprieve and some escapism from um, their uh, feeling alone. And I think that that's the other thing we have to understand is like, yes, there are these power and control dynamics that are inherent to the, the power structures that our society puts in place. But there's also these social power like dynamics around um, if I am a young queer kid and I, even though my parents say they love me unconditionally, um, if there aren't any other queer people for in our town for like me to see how they react to them, then I don't have anything to base that off of. And I see how that plays out in the media and I see play, how that plays out in books and it can be scary. And, or, or if you do have other people, um, right, you hear how your parents um, or the adults in your life talk about the legal cases that are coming up around LGBTQ issues or hear how they talk about people or how they describe people as um, sissies or like tomboys or like whatever, it can feel super unsafe and it it may very well be unsafe. And so these media outlets provide some sort of an anchor sometimes to say like, one day I might not be in this situation. I might be able to like find someone else to relate to, or, you know, it gives hope. And um, a lot of those really broad themes of pretty much all literature, you know, love, hope, and I don't know, dreams. So I think that's another piece of inherent value of this genre and how young people consume it and then use it to relate to their IRL lives. 
I would also say adults do that too. Like, you know, talking about reflection or feeling feelings you felt so long ago or processing things. Like there's a lot of our own identities that we push down and don't necessarily want to put out there. And so seeing that in a book or a movie or a show can be really connecting and helpful. I'm just thinking about like other frustrations that I have when I watch some things. And often it's around the romance and how like dating wasn't really a thing for me when I was in high school. And so I get angry with like high school musical or like other shows that I'm like, that's not how this happens. Like, this is a pretty person. Like, of course, if you look like Zac Efron, this happens to you, right? This is a pretty person problem. And so, or or it's pretty person privilege, right? Um, and so I get a lot of, I get a lot of frustration and then I have to unpack that about like, why am I being like, why is this upsetting me? And and doing some of that work about some of that trauma of feeling like bullied and alone and unwanted or whatever um, in those spaces when I was that age. So going back to like these genre, this genre being a tool for reflection and like healing from trauma, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like as you were saying, being frustrated and also like almost like reliving certain trauma. I mean, I think about the Twilight series, which I am an unabashed and unashamed, huge fan of. I know it's super problematic. I am fully aware. I'm right there with you on all of the criticisms. Like nobody hates Twilight like a Twilight fan. Okay. That said, reading, I mean, it came out when I was in high school and at the time I loved it and just accepted lots of it as being totally okay and normal because of the relationships that I was in where all those like kind of abusive and controlling behaviors were happening and they were normalized. So I accepted it in Twilight and now like rereading the books or watching the movies, it is infuriating to see how horribly people are treated, but also to reflect on how horribly I was treated as a high school student in a very twilight situation where like my boyfriend was very possessive and very controlling and not okay. And I had a guy best friend who was trapped in the friend zone and very angry about it and like was manipulative as a result of it. It was full twilight dynamic and it's infuriating to read it now. So I feel you on all of that frustration and the way it does like bring up a lot of things and like kind of forces you to relive and process your teen experiences, which is tough at times. Which I'm wondering if that's like another reason people shame it because they're like, oh, gross. I'm not trying to like go back to anything. You know what I mean? Because I think it can be easier to just be like, ooh, hate that genre instead of being willing to process anything. Oh, it's the cringe factor of like, I don't want to experience that again. I think about um, the movie Eighth Grade, which if y'all haven't seen it, you have to. It's incredible. It's just about this 13 year old girl at the very end of her eighth grade year and It is the most accurate portrayal of a middle school student I have seen in my life. Every second of it is pure cringe. I mean, it's painful. It immediately transports you back to being in middle school and just how painfully awkward all of it was. And it very much gives you that feeling of like, why would I want to revisit this? But it's an incredible movie. It does such a good job of showing what it is like to be in middle school. And I feel like anybody that has teenagers or works with teenagers should watch it just to experience that and gain a little shred of empathy for the teens that you work with and care for because it is full cringe. I will make a note of that. I will need to watch it. I was thinking about this when working with some of my clients. I'm like, gosh, I don't think I'd ever want to go back to being a young person. (laughs) Like I, you know, I just hear some of their things and I'm like, oh, I can relate. 
and like until just like a year ago, you know what I mean? And so like being a young person is hard and having empathy towards what they have to go through is incredibly important. And you're about to be parenting a teenager. So Stop it. I'm just saying. Gotta she only has two more inches and then she's as tall as me. It's crazy. Yep. I did tell her I was like three and a half years until you get a permit. And I was like, I'm not ready for that. Anyways, side note. Um, But, you know, like I this will all connect. But one of my hopes, I think, is that we can use like more people will be willing to use a lot of YA anything to connect and have more empathy towards young people and be willing to have these conversations no matter how hard they are. And so I'm wondering, Vanessa, if we could move into what your hopes and dreams concerning young adult fiction would be. Yeah, I think my hopes and dreams are really that we all just start to value teenagers. You know, we don't even have to enjoy teen media for the for what it gives to us as adults looking back on that time period. I just want us to be able to value it because teenagers are valuable. Um, I think that teenagers are just magical, smart geniuses that should rule the world and are amazing. And I just wish we could all get on board with having huge mad respect for teenagers. That's my hope and dream. Magical. What did you say? What was the term you used? magical perfect geniuses something like that I love that we all have room to grow and be better but I love that because there is so much power in young people and I they're just fascinating and they have so many good lessons to teach so many people so I I like I love that you said that anyways William what about you it's another note on that and like we were all young people at one point we could tap into that empathy because we were all there. Um, so, but my hopes and dreams, I hope that, I mean, yes, I think that, that there are some valid uh, critiques and criticisms of the genre as a whole, um, whether it is a, a book movie or show, whether it is the production value or the writing or like whatever, right? Like, I think there's valid criticism, but I also think that people are entitled to enjoy what they enjoy. And like, I don't think that we should be shaming anyone for watching or fangirling or like being a boy that likes Vampire Diaries or that like really likes Pretty Little Liars, like whatever, like who cares? Like let people live their lives and enjoy what they enjoy um and consume this media and be able to talk about it and engage in healthy ways because a lot of our opposition to it is rooted in rigid gender roles and harmful masculinity and it's just harmful to everyone at that point sarah you mentioned a hope a minute ago but do you have any other hopes and dreams i have so many but i think one that kind of was sparked by what you were saying, Vanessa, was that because, you know, I was thinking about how with so many of my clients, they have to like go over about how their brain is forming and how it's not fully formed. And they don't have like the full capability of like looking forward in the future and planning because that part of the brain is just not quite there yet. But to your point, there's so many magical things about the way that they view life and view the world. And so I really hope that we can bridge that connection and respect young people more and work together because I think that partnership with their magical way of thinking and then our 
fully formed brain, I think we can really make a bigger impact in changing systems and changing our culture by bridging that gap and working together. And that is my hope and my dream. I have like two related thoughts. Can I share two more thoughts? Okay. So you mentioned the incredible ways that like teenagers think and the way they approach the world. And it reminded me of a quote from a John Green novel where I don't know it word for word, but basically he says, um, it's a, a teenage narrator saying, you know, teenagers think that we're invincible because we are. And I just love that quote. It's, it's a longer paragraph that it comes from, but it's this idea of like, you know, the way we almost judge teenagers for that, that sense of invincibility. And like, we call it recklessness and impulsivity. And I mean, absolutely at times it is, but there's also something beautiful about having that fearlessness where like, as we get older, we start to doubt ourselves and question ourselves more and hold ourselves back. Um, And so I love the idea of the invincibility of teenagers. Um, And then my second thought was just because I mentioned Twilight, I also feel obligated to mention the Quileute tribe who like had their entire culture appropriated for those books and were never fairly compensated. They preserved their culture through a school on their tribal lands and it is threatened by tsunami flood zone things. And so they're raising money to move to higher ground. If you literally just look up move to higher ground Quileute tribe on Google, you can find their website and donate to them. I feel like it's very important that if we consume Twilight Media, we also support the Quileute tribe. That's my plug. Vanessa, do you you have that link? So we can link that in the episode description too. Thanks for reading that up. I appreciate it. Perfect. I also think that brings a good point about uh, representation and appropriation. That's another hope and dream I'll float in there is that I hope that more stories are representative of identities and cultures that we don't often see in our mainstream I really hate the term mainstream media these days, but like, for lack of a better term, mainstream media. So that person who is somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum doesn't have to go like deep into the library to find like the one copy of the one book and that is about a queer story. Um, And people who are native and indigenous don't have to can, can see themselves reflected in, in a broader media category other than things that are produced in their local community not that those aren't important but they should have broader representation and see themselves represented in our society as a whole so and everyone else people with different abilities people with yeah so stories for everyone I love that. Stories for everyone. Beautiful hope and dream. I love it. Well, thank you, Vanessa. I really appreciate you bringing this topic to us and having this conversation with us. I think it is definitely a good one. So thank you for being here and thank you for all of the prevention work you do. Thanks for allowing me to have this hour soapbox on my absolute favorite subject. (laughs) So thank y'all. Any time. It's been a fun time and we will be back next week with another episode. Bye. Bye.